We read together again in preparation to the message, in lieu of the message, from Judges chapter 6. And we take up the story of Gideon's experience with the Lord at verse 14. Judges chapter 6 and verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. Thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid, unleavened cakes of an, of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Turn there in a moment for our message before we do. If you would stand with me again, please, and sing number 523.
from deep distress and troubled thoughts. To Thee, my God, I raise my cries. If Thou severely mark our faults, no flesh can stand before Thine eyes. But Thou hast built Thy throne of grace, dispensing pardons freely there, that sinners may approach Thy face. And hope and love as well as fear. As the benighted pilgrims wait. And long and wish for breaking day. So waits my soul before thy gate. When will my God his face display? My trust is fixed upon thy word. Nor shall I trust Thy word in vain, let morning souls address the Lord and find relief from all their pain. His love is great and large his grace through the redemption of his son he turns our feet from sinful ways and pardons what our hands have done Hallelujah. Thank you. Be seated. I would take up again this morning the message that I had begun on last week. I read this week two. Two chapters it was actually only one sermon by B.M. Palmer. And at the end of the first, brought took him two weeks to deliver a message, which is very often the case for me. And I copied his words at the end of the first Sabbath day. B.M. Palmer, this was on June the 9th, 1872. At the conclusion of his message, he said, The scheme of thought projected at the opening of this discourse proves too large 
for a single discussion. And so the remaining topics must be postponed until the next Sabbath. I was glad to read that. I was glad to know that I'm not the only one that has that problem. B.M. Palmer in 1872 said to his congregation, basically, I will not be able to cover this today, but some of it will have to remain and be postponed until the next Sabbath. And so it has been with this message that I would seek to bring to you from these verses in verse 14, more or less from verse 14 through verse 22, 24. On last week, I brought you only the first point in my outline. If you care for outlines and you like to outline, I sometimes am able to outline a text, a passage. And I gave you on last week only the first point of my outline. I brought to your attention that our God sympathizes with our ignorance. Or a second title for the message, Will God Wait on Me? What a blessed thought and what a blessed word from his word that the angel, the Lord, the angel said to Gideon, I will tarry here. I'll tarry. I'll wait. I'll wait. And that was the first point in my message. This morning we come to my second point that I think I mentioned to you last week in closing. I wanted us to see from this text, first we saw that he sympathizes with our ignorance. But now I want us to see that he supplies our illumination. Now don't forget, lest you misjudge Gideon or judge him too harshly, because of the fact that he requests signs, not only here, but we'll see it again. He's he is constantly requesting a sign from the Lord. But because of that, do not misjudge him and label him wrongly in your estimation of him. Because you will remember that in Hebrews chapter 11 in that passage that we, that chapter we affectionately call the hall of faith, he is specifically named as being in the corridors among the trophies of that hall of faith. Verse 32 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Mayrak, Samson, Jephthah, and David also, and Samuel, and all the prophets. Time would fail me, he said, to tell you about all of these. He's listed. He's listed there. 
Hebrews 11.32 in that great hall of faith. So be careful lest you misjudge him while his faith here in this text seemingly starts out only in the tiniest sparks of an ember. Yet it is true faith notwithstanding and God will blow on these embers yet until they burn into great flames and will give him yet more illumination. Verse 21 Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened gates and there rose up fire out of the rock and consume the flesh and the unleavened cakes. God will yet give him more illumination. <laughs> As I said, his faith may have begun so frail, so weak, just little sparks, but God will blow on it. God will breathe on it and yet bring it into a great flame. He supplies our illumination. Gideon has asked for help. He's asked for a sign. And I think I mentioned once before at least what exactly he had in mind, what exactly he thought was supposed to happen next, we're left only to imagine. But whatever it was, God, our God, will not leave him in his ignorance. He will not leave him. I don't know what Gideon thought was going to happen. I don't know if he knew, had any thought about what was going to happen. But he asked for help. And God was ready to help him. Psalm 103 and verse 11 tells us this. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembered that we are dust. God understood Gideon needed help. He didn't understand. He asked for help. He asked for light. And our God will supply our illumination. Oh, what great illumination Gideon will receive. Verse 21 what great illumination Gideon did receive. This, even now, even here, Gideon does not understand all that he will yet see. But daylight is dawning. And this blessed angel is bringing light to eliminate his, to illuminate his struggling heart. Daylight is dawning. 
in verse 21. And this blessed angel is bringing light to illuminate, illuminate his struggling heart. Could I just give you a little sidelight here? A little side lesson. When you're struggling to know what to do, just walk in the light you have. Just walk in the light you have. The Lord had Israel to gather enough manna for one day. One day at a time. Gideon walked in what he had. He walked in whatever, as you, we see, as we'll see in future messages, if the Lord's willing. You'll see that he keeps asking for signs. God keeps helping him and God keeps helping him. But he just keeps walking in whatever light he has at the moment. He keeps walking in what light he has. He doesn't yet understand. When we read the text I read to you this morning, Gideon's far yet from understanding. All of this, all of this, all that will be, all that will happen, far from us. But he's walking in the light he has. It's a good word for you, for me, for every believer. Just walk in the light you have. Just keep walking in the light that you have. Surely Adersheim helps us when he says this, and I read this, some of this paragraph to you last week in the message. But I want you to hear some of this again. Listen to what Adrashan said. He said it's when this, this strong warrior is at his lowest that the messenger of the covenant suddenly appears to him. Not only the brightness of his face and form, but the tone in which he spoke, and still more his words, at once struck the deepest chords in Gideon's heart. One thing at least the angel immediately gained. And it was what the angel of his presence always first gains. The confidence of Gideon's heart. It's all he had. It's all he had. It's all he had at this point. But he's walking in it. Because of that confidence, Adersheim says to the unknown stranger, he pours forth his inmost doubts and sorrows and fears. And it is not that he is ignorant of Jehovah's past dealings, nor that he questions his present power. But he simply doesn't understand. Oh, saint, if you have questions, he will supply your illumination, but just walk in the light you have. Walk in the light that you have. He's gained your confidence. So in the words of Adersheim, pour forth your inmost doubts, sorrows, and fears. Just pour them out. That's what Gideon did. He said, I don't understand. I can't do this. Look at who I am. He's just bearing his heart to this angel because the angel has won his confidence. He has those embers of faith. Oh, my dear saint, never you doubt 
Our God will bring light when you need it. This is the message I continually, continually send to our brother Maxine. So much frustration, so much anxiety, so much uncertainty, and I fully, fully, fully appreciate it. But here's the thing. God will send light when it's needed. Just walk in the light that you have. Stay stable, stay steady, keep walking. God will supply the light. But wait. Notice with me how this new, latest revelation came about. Notice how it was effected. Verse 19 and 20. Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah flour, the flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And look at this. One little four-word sentence in our English language. And he did so. You see how this further illumination that he's going to receive in the very next verse, the very next act, the very next scene, he's going to receive great illumination. But do you see how it came about? He did so. Well, that'd be a great sermon title. Without yet any sign. Remember now, he hasn't yet received the sign. Without any sign. <laughs> Without any full understanding of even what's happening here. Having yet many fears and doubts and misgivings and all the turmoil that's in his soul. Yet he did so. He did. So, <laughs> can I just tell you, take this lesson to your heart. Obedience, submission, sacrifice, service are all requisite if we are to be in the place for further illumination. He did so. Oh, I say it again. Can I say it again? Obedience, submission, sacrifice. I talked about that last week. Service. All of these are requisite if we are to be in a place for further illumination. My point is I'm trying to talk to you on the subject that he will supply illumination. But it will be so when we're in the place of obedience and service and sacrifice. He did so. Gideon cannot just sit on the rock and wait. <laughs> he didn't ask for a sign and then sit down on the rock. Gideon cannot just sit on the rock and wait. 
he must rise and do what service he can if he is to receive more help from this angel. (laughs) Someone has well said, light will be found to shine only on a pilgrim that's in the path of obedience. You can't just pull up a chair and sit on a rock and expect God to show you something. But now, notice with me, notice with me, how does this new supply of illumination affect Gideon? Look at verse 22. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, oh Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Notice how this new illumination affected him. Gideon has just seen fire come out from a rock. Gideon has seen fire come out of a wet rock. Gideon has seen fire consume his gift. As did Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings in chapter 18. The presence of Almighty God is now clearly known to Gideon's heart. And in his mortality, he's crushed under the prospect and thought, surely I'm going to die now. That's the effect of this new illumination. Matthew Henry said, Ever since man has by sin exposed himself to God's wrath and curse and expressed from heaven has been a terror to him as he scarcely dares expect good tidings from there. At least in this world of sense, it is a very awful thing to have any sensible conversation with the world of saints to which we are so much strangers. Said another, The consciousness of sinful demerit fills the heart of every fallen man at the appearance of the holiness of God. Oh, his presence will leave the heart of the fallen mankind as though he were dead or going to die. Like Moses before him, In Exodus chapter 20, you remember what happened. Moses, the people said to him in chapter 20 and verse 18, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When people saw it, they removed and stood afar off and they said to Moses, Speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Lest we die. 
Gideon said, oh, Lord God, I'm seeing more. I must surely die now. I'm going to die. Go well, listen to John. Listen to John as he testifies of this terrible experience. John chapter 1 and verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake to me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the path with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were like white wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto the fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth with a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I fell at his feet as dead. That was John's experience. That was Moses' experience. That was Gideon's experience. What happens when all this supply of illumination comes? He finds himself in the presence of God and he thought he would surely die. <laughs> oh, God, help us today in 2022. God, help us to stand boldly against this bubblegum chewing, flip-flop wearing, campfire hugging, vulgar generation of Crash carnality in their God-dishonoring, crude familiarity with divine things. God deliver us from that crowd. I don't care if their doctrine is perfect. I don't care if they ascribe to every right and righteous confession God ever let men write. I don't care who they are, this bubblegum chewing Flip-flop, crash, cloud. We need to distance ourselves from them. God, when He comes in His illumination, will have this effect on men. The very ground becomes hallowed and sacred. And men fall down in His presence. Oh, listen to me. If you ever have a visitation, if you ever have an illumination from this God of Gideon, you'll cry out as he did, Oh Lord God, I must surely die. I must surely die. We'll see it later, God willing. Chapter 13 of this book. Manoah. And his wife had that experience. It's over in chapter 13 and verse 20. Came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. 
<laughs> Listen to verse 22. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we've seen God. Oh, I don't see that. I don't hear about that today when I talk to preachers. When I talk to preachers, when I visit services, I don't hear that. I don't see that. All I see is a bunch of hooped a lawn circus. I don't see people falling down saying, Oh, I'm going to die. I've seen God. But hey, there's a little sidelight lesson right here, fellas. My brethren, would you receive it? That good wife, she had a lot of wisdom. Be good for you to listen to her. Manoah said unto his wife, we shall surely die. But his wife said, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received the burnt offering and the meat offering in our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things. Nor would as at that time have told us much of these things. <laughs> oh, she's good, godly wife. She's whispering in his ear with me. Hey, we're not going to die. <laughs> we're going to die. If he's going to kill us, he wouldn't have done all this. Good, godly wisdom from a wife sometimes. Do us well to hear it. God help me. The wisdom of a godly wife. Well, Manoah experienced it. Noah, Moses experienced it. Manoah experienced it. Moses and uh, Moses experienced it. John experienced it. There on the Isle of Patmos. Jacob experienced it. I won't read it. Genesis thirty-two and verse thirty. Jacob had the same experience. Genesis 32 and verse 30. Oh, listen. This is what happens when God visits. Men are brought low. Low. And the nearer God draws, the lower they get. But could I just give you here another little lesson <laughs> from this amazing episode in verse 21. Someone said this, Gideon saw no miracle and when he saw no miracle he could not discern the presence of God in less striking circumstances. Before verse 21, he's talking with God and he can't understand, he can't get it in his head. And then this writer said, as sensationalism in religion is a disposition which unfits the soul for quiet, natural modes of worship. So the habit of depending on marvels and prodigies of faith in divine truth 
weakens the sense of divine in the calm and orderly movements of nature and providence. You see what he's saying? We live in a generation of completed revelation. We don't need and should not seek some sensational event in order to the understanding of God's will. We have multitudes, churches full of them, and some of us have belonged to them. That they literally collect one Lord's day after another, waiting for and hoping for some sensational, visible experience. Gideon was talking with God. But he had no perception of it until the miracle. But the days of such demonstrations are over. And we ought not be seeking the sensational. Amen. So then Gideon asked for a sign. And he received it. But now, <laughs> now on the heels of that answer, he is in the crisis of his life. Do you hear me? Say, now wait a minute, what? That, that, that's not how it's supposed to work. I said to you, Gideon has asked for a sign. In verse 21, he has received it. And now he's in the crisis of his life. Indeed, he is sure now that his life is ended. <laughs> oh, be careful, saint, what you ask the Lord for. Be careful what you ask the Lord for. Somebody said it this way. As soon as one question was answered, he had a question about was this the Lord speaking to him or was it not? He needed to understand the commission. As soon as one question is answered, another replaces it with even greater weight. Will I live? <laughs> as soon as one question is answered, another replaces it with even greater weight. Matthew Henry said that though Gideon was no doubt confirmed in his faith, <laughs> Yet for the moment at least, he was put into a greater fright. I said to you, he'll supply our illumination. But it may create the greater distress than ever we thought. Oh, how frail are these vessels, as Gideon well learned. How fragile are these vessels when God pours out his unmediated presence. The shepherds in Luke chapter 2 and verse 9, you'll remember, were sore afraid. The soldiers in the garden in John 18, 5 and 6 fell backward. Oh, blessed Gideon. Blessed Gideon. 
The Lord supplies your illumination, brother. But oh, how poorly are you framed to receive it. Poor Sarah laughed. Get in, in Genesis 18, verse 12. Poor Sarah laughed in unbelief, but Gideon thought he was going to die. <laughs> but now, for sake of time, let me just take from our text one final point in our outline. I said, first of all, that he sympathizes with our ignorance. I said, secondly, he supplies our illumination. But now I want to tell you, he sustains our infirmities. He sustains our infirmity. Verse 21, Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. There rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and unleavened cakes. And then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. When Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Listen now. Listen to verse 23. And the Lord said unto him, Wait a minute. I thought he departed. He did. But he's speaking. Verse 23. The Lord said unto him, Peace. Peace be unto thee. Fear not. Thou shalt not die. Can I say to you, he sustains us in our infirmity. Somebody said the terror which overcame the strong man is now allayed. Christ gives a deeper tranquility. He fills the breath with the sense of spiritual reconciliation and the peace of God that passes. All understanding. And this is felt in the trial hours of life and in the agony of dying. It steadies and evens the spirit amidst the most afflicting circumstances. In conversion, the fear of the sinner under conviction is often intense. But who can tell the rapture when peace is found? Hallelujah. He sustains our infirmity. Bishop Hall said, the angel that departed, the angel that departed for the wonder <laughs> to create the wonder, the angel that departed for the wonder returns for the comfort of Gideon. It is not usual with God to leave his children amazed, but he brings them out in the name of, in the, in the same mercy which led them in and will magnify his grace in the one no less than his power in the other. 
Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you today, he'll sustain our infirmity. He comes to them in their distress. He addresses their distrust. He confirms, yea, in this case, even heightens their despair in order to effect their deliverance. <laughs> Hallelujah. Little sidelight here. Notice this angel didn't even touch the rock, but only the flesh. <laughs> Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> he may even depart for a while, but when he returns, all will be peace and victory. From this point out in this record, Gideon moves from glory to glory. He moves from light to more light. He moves from faith to more faith. He moves from signs into miracles. And finally, victory at last. When? After the flesh has been consumed on the rock. <laughs> Whoa, hallelujah. I could preach this morning for a solid hour from the top of my head and wouldn't even need notes. This would be a great sermon for you, some of you fellows. If you want to take it and put it together, oh, you could turn to this text here. I could preach for a long time. Oh, listen, <laughs> after the flesh has been consumed on the rock, let me tell you, let me just say to you, I could preach this morning. I could talk to you much about this flesh, this guilt, and its consummation. I could talk to you about the rock and its state. Many commentators pointed out the fact that he just took a rough rock that was out there and how that depicts what was taught to us clearly and definitively in the book of Exodus chapter 20 verse 24 through 26. He's taught that he'll offer up the offering on a rock that has not been adorned by the man's hands. God brought the rock. And men are not to adorn it with their own hands. And so it was with Gideon. Exodus 20 verse 24 through 26. I'm telling you I could talk about the flesh that's on being consumed. I could talk about this unadorned rock. Hallelujah. I could talk to you about the rod. The staff that was wielded in the skillful hands of the angel. I could talk to you about the degree of victory that's been promised to him now. He said you'll destroy all the Midianites as if they were just one man. Oh, what a degree of victory. Oh, there's a lot of gospel truth here. A lot of gospel truth here. In this angel, in this rock, in this flesh, in this victory. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. All of that, all of that, all of that, and much more. But if I were to preach on all of that, all I would be saying is what I've already said to you. In simple words, he sustains our infirmity. Hallelujah. He sustains our infirmity. Bless his holy name.
So then what's to become of this glorious, unfathomable display of our God? In his display of his unveiled glory and demonstration of his power, what is to become of it all? Well, just this. Gideon would have it to be remembered. Verse 24, Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. (laughs) Gideon established a permanent marker to the work of God in his heart. And what does the inscription say on the marker? This covenant God is peace. The sun arose, if I may summarize for you, basically in one sentence, this whole scene, this chapter up to this verse. The sun arose on this morning. On the morning of this day, the sun arose in the life of Gideon with his heart in great distress. He's hiding in a wine press, threshing hay with a stick. That's how this morning started. But it sets this evening with a peace that passes all understanding. And this will keep his heart and mind through all the wars that are yet to come. And if ever doubt rises up again to cloud his faith, he'll come back to this spot and repose again on the staff of this angel by the remembrance of this marker. He'll come again to this place and he'll say what words were not yet written in Psalm 77 and verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. (laughs) He's going to raise up a marker. And he's going to inscribe on it, Jehovah Shalom. All's peace now. Abraham had done it, built an altar and named it. Genesis 22 and verse 14. He named his Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. 
Moses had done it. He built an altar and named it. Exodus 17 verse 15. He called it Jehovah Nisai. God my banner. Joshua had built an altar and named it. Joshua 22 verse 34. Ed. It means the Lord is God. <laughs> but now, but now Gideon, Gideon adds his own, his own altar and he names it the Lord is peace. Oh, this peace will keep the martyr calm in the flames. This peace will keep the soldier strong in the battle. This peace will keep the sailor steady in the storm. And surely this peace will keep the saint placid in death. Gideon finally is at peace. But notice when we get down here to this 24th verse it's not the wheat now that occupies his attention. It's not the Midianite oppressor that consumes his thoughts. It's not even his own weakness or his people's calamity. It's this and only this. Gideon is now consumed with a consummate interest in this angel. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> He's interested in this angel. He's interested in this angel. Did you know that when I walk among folks, yes, even in this church, I can tell where you are with the Lord. I can tell where I am with the Lord. By where your attention is fixed. Gideon got up that morning with a lot of things on his heart. But now they're all gone. Out of sight. Fixated. One thing. This angel. How interested are you in this angel? How much time do you spend with this angel? When you're out and about, how many recognize that you've been with this angel? Acts 4 and verse 13. I wonder this morning, just a simple question, a heart-searching question. How consumed are you with this angel? That really tells it all. That's one of the things I, I'm not bragging on men or flesh, I'm bragging on the grace of God. That's one of the reasons I'm always so blessed when I get around people like Brother Oliver. Used to be that way with dear old Brother Paul Cornett. They just couldn't talk without talking about this angel. What he meant to them. Gideon's fixated now on this angel. 
Jehovah Shalom. All's at peace now. He's come. Turn with me, please, in your hymn book, if you will, and stand with me. We sing together number 506 in your hymn book, please. Faith is the brightest evidence of things beyond our sight. It pierces through the veil of sense and dwells in heavenly light. It sets time past in present view, brings distant prospects home of things a thousand years ago or thousand years to come. By faith we know the world was made by God's almighty word. We know the heavens and earth shall fade and be again restored. Abraham obeyed the Lord's command from his own country by faith he sought a promised land but found his rest in hell Thus through life's pilgrimage we stray the promise in our eyes. By faith we walk the narrow way that leads to joy on high. 